Hello and welcome to Access Tech. I'm delighted that we're joined today by Deepa Patel, who is the Vice Chair of Innovation at the Department of Physics and Assistant Studies at the University of Pittsburgh. Now, I'm amazed that I got that out all in one sentence. So <laughs> welcome, Deepu. It's it's a, a real pleasure to have you with us. Um, we've just been talking in the warm-up beforehand, and, and you're, you're doing some really interesting stuff. So perhaps you could um, tell us what that long job title actually means and, and what it is that you actually do. Yes, it seems like a very broad uh, title. Thank you, Neil, for the kind introduction. Uh, yeah, Vice Chair of Innovation in the Department of PA Studies. Uh, I'm a professor in the DPS program where the program focuses on quality improvement. And my specific focus is bringing digital health into the curriculum. Um, and digital health is every uh, kind of technology that pertains to patient care through that larger umbrella of telemedicine, um, wearables, apps, uh, using your phone to provide care, all of those pieces of technology and educating the next generation on how to use this technology and incorporate it. Um, I'll, st I'll stop there because I don't want to like go too much uh, into it because I think we're going to have a larger conversation about it. But I enjoy the job um, immensely. I really love engaging with this space and the people who are in it because it's such an evolving um evolving uh, space. Every day there's something new to yes. learn. Absolutely. Uh, medicine has become so much more digitized over the last few years. Um, it's not that there wasn't capability before to do digital or remote medicine, but um, the will has changed um, yeah. through necessity, obviously through, uh, through COVID. Uh, so people had to do it. Um, and that's really brought it to the fore that, that sometimes these services can be better. That, that said, sometimes there is that sort of flow backwards into sort of analog health as people go back to sort of in-person visits to their general practitioners and stuff like that. So I think um, we had a pendulum swing with COVID, uh, yes. which was really useful in terms of driving adoption of new technologies where there'd been resistance. Um, and then we've had a bit of a swing back um, as, as people um, felt that they really needed to have those sort of in-person in services. But I'm, I'm, I'm interested because you're looking at more than just sort of, you know, dialing into the doctor here. You're, you're thinking about, you know, user adoption of devices that might support people, support families, uh, you know, particularly, you know, the community that, that this podcast is interested in, the disability community and people who are acquiring disabilities through age and so on, there's an awful lot of um, yeah, technology that might help, but that is also quite difficult or, or, or challenging for that cohort of individuals to adopt. So, so what are the, some of the things that you're looking at that are interesting and, and that you think have potential? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting parts about digital health, and I think you you said it correctly, is the adoption of these technologies. Just the fact that the options are now visible to people when prior to COVID, they weren't. It's not that the technology wasn't there prior to COVID. It's, th it's that now these options are available to patients. And as we are innovating in this space and learning more and launching more, uh, products, 
Um, there are new apps and mobile devices and assistive de devices that are coming to market at a much rapid pace uh, than they were uh, before COVID. So adoption, along with implementation, has been the has been the driving force in this post-COVID world. Now, there are parts of it where, you know, as you mentioned, that we saw an increase in telehealth and telemedicine use during a, a, during COVID out of necessity, and there has been a little bit of a decrease on that. But I do think that um, patients and consumers want it, uh, and I think there's a definite need for it to be viable and sustainable in the long run, because it has the potential to really democratize the social gaps that we have in healthcare and addressing those in a, on a long-term basis. Um, when we talk about things like social determinants of health, uh, we're now starting to talk about digital determinants of health, those things about digital health literacy. How do I use my phone? How do I access the internet? How do I provide information in bite-sized pieces so that I can educate the patient? Um, all of these things are kind of encompassing this larger issue of adoption and implementation. So um, we're at the very beginning of, of, of this where we haven't even reached the peak. So um, I am very, very excited to be on the upswing of this roller coaster that we're going to be on. And I will say it does come with some challenges, right? Um, we definitely have, um, I'm a big believer of technology, but I'm also a big believer of humans in the loop, right? Technology needs to be partnered with humans, especially in healthcare, um, because a bot doesn't have the subjectivity piece as a human would. We do need to balance the technology and everything that it harnesses with the moral and ethical values of we as humans, as a species, and then of course, as a culture that we have. So it's really important that we find that balance. And I think that's the wonderful thing about this dynamic space that we're in is that those conversations are being had right now. And we are actively um, engaging with these terms and we're actively um, talking about what is right for humanity. And that's the wonderful thing about this, uh, this space. So uh, if someone starts their studies uh, to become a doctor today, you know, in different parts of the world, Mm -hmm. uh, they might encounter different challenges and they might find that they go into a profession or to a course that has, still has a very traditional approach yes. into education. So with technology all, all around, how can um, a young uh, person going into the profession is able to at the same time follow the path to become a doctor at, at, while at the side keeps the pace with that technology? Uh, because sometimes that knowledge might nef might have to be acquired outside the natural route to become a doctor. Uh, uh, how do you see that challenge? I see that it twofold, and I'm I'm smiling because uh, part of it is that um, you know I have my children teaching me about technology that came out last week or two weeks ago and how to use it. I still don't know how to use all the features of TikTok and whatever you know and. Um, I smile because um, I approach this from uh, multiple lenses, first as a clinician, second as an educator, third as a consumer, and perhaps fourth as a parent, right? So there are a lot of ways to think about it. And um, one of the things that I, I, when I teach is that 
we need to teach this generation. But in order for us to be able to do that, I need to educate myself in this space before I can pay that forward in terms of knowledge, right? Um, so part of my motivation and passion in this space is that I'm learning something new. And as PAs, we are we are ingrained to be lifelong learners. And I would argue that that's true for all healthcare professionals that we constantly are looking to learn. Um, and I think learning this space has been really, really rewarding and um, learning new things to teach the students to say, think of it this way. And it's what I really like about the DPAS program because our focus is on quality improvement and quality improvement doesn't stop, right? When you do that one project, you move on to the next next iterative step on that um, uh, on that ladder or on that fishbone diagram as we as we use them. But um, and when I look at it from a clinician lens, for me, it's what can I do to make the patient experience better? How can I make it easier for the patient to understand what their disease process is? Um, so to your question, Antonio, about what are we doing to prepare the next, uh, like how does a, a student who is considering doing going to med school or PA school, what are, what are they learning? I think they're learning innately. And I think our... Um, our K through 12 education system is really teaching us how to adapt at a higher education level to these to these students. In fact, I just learned of an assignment that my son and daughter got last week, and I'm like, oh, how can I use this to teach my doctorate level students? Um, and so there's going to be a little bit of give and take because I think our our my generation of faculty who are either in this space or learning this space, we're going to have to learn it on an expedited basis to in order for us to teach the current students we have. But by the time my kids, who are teenagers right now, go into college, we'll probably have a pretty robust faculty to, who will know this space, but will have to continue to iteratively learn this space. And my kids are going to teach their professors a few things as, as we learn. Because, you know, I, I akin the space that we're in right now, the feeling that I get around it is, I remember, and I don't want to age anyone here, but I remember when the internet first came out mm -hmm. and I, my mind was blown. Mm -hmm. um, that feeling of like, you want me to put this in here and then it'll tell me everything I need I, to Oh, I, I remember sevenfold. <laughs> right. And I think with AI or uh, uh, chat, which has like really taken the world uh, um, by storm here. These are the things that re really make me optimistic. Um, you know, it's we do have some work to do around the ethical, um, uh, ethical parameters and put some guardrails around it. But I think we, when I when I speak to healthcare, the healthcare space and this sort of technology, I am really optimistic because there is much that needs to be done. Oh, yeah. Help the healthcare space. Uh, I um, totally agree. And I loved interviewing you on my other show. You just, I, I remember hearing you speak um, and it was with a group of people and every, I, I don't even remember where we met and I, I was blown away by you. And then you, uh, I in interviewed you on my show and I thought, see, you are the future, but <clears throat> this is also so complicated. I know we talked a few minutes before we got on air and Antonio actually brought up some really good points that I'm going to um, also go here. But 
there's so many things that we have to do to get this right. And I know that we as a world learned so much from COVID and certainly our healthcare professionals did. God bless them all for what they walked. And then of course we have this wonderful uh, long COVID that our healthcare is trying to figure out what's going on with that. And that's really frightening. I, of course, many of the audience members know just walked a really hard journey with my beautiful husband with dementia. That journey for the family and the individual and the healthcare professionals that supported us. It is the most intense thing I've ever walked. And to think that so many more families are now going to have to walk that because of COVID, you know, hurts my heart a bit. But I I really liked what was we were talking about before we went on air and Antonio and Neil, I'm totally stealing from them. But when we were talking about, um, and I'm using, um, Neil was mentioning PSTD um, that was done for the banks. Nope, did it wrong right away. The PSD2, which is a set of regulations which allow portability of right. banking data. Which is a good thing. I just said that I stole that from Neil. It's not, it's not PTSD. Right? It's not PTSD. <laughs> you know what? My brain just automatically <laughs> did that. Everything's about inclusion. So I'm sorry. So what, Neil, why don't you talk about that then? PSD, the revolution with the banks and how that, right. Yeah, two. So yeah, it's, it's the second re- revolution. So so the idea is to to people got locked into their bank accounts, mm-hmm. and people get locked into healthcare providers too sometimes, and and mm-hmm. um, be- because it was really hard to actually move their data, there was lots of friction built into the systems um, that would prevent people from moving because it's hard work, and and so what this would allow the regulations meant that they forced the bank. And this is European regulation. It yeah. forced banks to to basically make that data available to other banks with the permission of the user. So you could basically have a bank account with one bank and another bank account with another. And if you like the 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 app of Bank Two more than you liked it with Bank One, you could choose to use the data from your bank account in Bank One in the app of Bank Two. And so that that portability of data meant that you you could choose where you wanted it and yeah. you could also move stuff around much more easily. It made it easier to move bank accounts. It made it easier to you know have access to information about your money. And so the same kind of interoperability yeah. regulations could be applied to healthcare, which would mean that people can use the tools that they're familiar with, that they're comfortable with to access their health data, to interact with other things. And it also means that it's a much easier system, once you give permissions, for people to build new services upon. Yes. And those services that you, you can then do, uh, you know, might revolutionize how we care for people, might make it a, a, a lot easier because, you know, at the, at the moment, you know, despite the sort of, the stuff that has happened in telehealth and telemedicine, the systems are still pretty crappy. Um, and 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 you know, I just today signed up for a new GP because I moved and and I got forced to leave my old GPs eventually, and they were going to chuck me off. General practitioner, general practitioner. Like local, right? um, it's in case somebody don't know like me. <laughs> no, no, so um, so I had to sign into a new local doctors and you know the websites are horrible yes and 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 they're they're counterintuitive they use language that is yeah 
So they're not cognitively accessible. They're not technically accessible. They um, presume that you know how to use stuff. Um, they were a mixture of metaphor and garbage, sort of, um, you know, so they, 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 they've kind of done things like, like a digital waiting room and, and, and there's, there's no real signposting or flow of how to get to various services. Sorry, ranting a bit. Um, but, but these kind of things can be resolved if you allow people to take their data and move it about easily. So that, I think this is where Deepa was saying the interoperability is really important. Yeah, absolutely. There, but that was a very long ranty explanation of PTSD 43. <laughs> well, what you're saying is you have PTSD from signing from up. From <laughs> using, using the really bad digital systems. And, and, you know, if I can't use them and I work in IT, Right. Then our older population or our less digitally literate population, you know, not only are they sort of digitally excluded, they're socially excluded, they're medically excluded. And these are the social determinants of health that you were talking about before. Yes. I was, I was about to say, you have very nicely summarized all the aspects of digital determinants of health that I was just talking about earlier, <laughs> actually. And I will just say one of the things in um, healthcare that, um, a lot of healthcare systems, especially even the ones that are uh, patient-facing or consumer-facing, are not designed for the patient in mind. They're designed with the either the provider or the payer yeah. in mind, right? Um, this is where I see an opportunity for cross-industry collaborations to happen um, out, outside of healthcare. And one of the things I tell uh, I teach my students is that there is much to be learned from other industries. Uh, with healthcare. And it's part of quality improvement that you kind of think outside the box in terms of the solutions that you're proposing. So a very simple point that you made, Neil, about how making an appointment was such a nightmare because navigating that website was not intuitive for, for you. Someone who works in the space knows where the buttons should generally be located on a screen. Um, and it's not easy to find. Why in this day and age can we not um, create a um, a system where you can make appointments, patients can make appointments very easily. And some platforms have started having this now and not, um, and are getting better at it. But I'll tell you, the reason they are awful is because we're still very new to this. And yeah. also, we just have recently have, have had consumers expect this of us. And we don't think of um, we don't think that uh, of making an appointment with your GP should be a pleasant experience. <laughs> it should be. Why shouldn't it be? That's it the simple. first touch point as a customer. You I should have to come back to see you. That's I, have to, yeah. I have to come back to this because essentially what, what I was going to say was that, that these digital systems that they've made are just literally digitizing the crappy analog system yes. that they already had, yes. right? They so it was always crap getting an appointment at the doctor's. You'd have to hang on the phone or you'd be in a queue and there'd be like vomiting babies and farting old people. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and you know, it'd be a time that wasn't inconvenient. And, and then they digitized it and, and get this, right? You have the opportunity to run a, so they run the website 24 seven. 
but you can only make an appointment via the website during their office hours. Yeah. Why? Why can you not use a digital system to take that load off the, the, the booking system? It doesn't matter that you, you can set a parameter. This is, you know, it's, it, it well, blows my mind that you, you can't people... access it. It just goes, we're not open. We're closed now. <laughs> that shouldn't matter. It just goes to show you that a lot of people, especially in the new, it, the newer implementations of this, were have basically said, "Here's how we do it on paper, and then we're just going to put it online. We're going to do the same thing online, and it's not the same, right?" And also, we have lived in this digital world for now well over 25, 30 years. Um, I would say that most people know how to navigate a basic website. Not everyone, of course there are, uh, but the, my point is that even if you know it or you don't know it, why is there not a education around that, right? This, is, this speaks to digital health, digital literacy, period. Forget the health part right now, because that's where we're gonna come to that. But how, what are we doing to say, you know, like, I'm probably in that my in terms of ages and whatever, I'm in that sweet spot of ages where it's like it's moving so quickly that I need to really stay on top of it to keep up with the technology. But if you think of the like my parents who don't know, you know, if you move the send button from the top right to the bottom right, it just changes everything for them. And that's a huge thing for them. So why are we not spending our time educating patients on this and making things easier for them? it is really about, um, and I think part of it is because healthcare systems have never had to think about um, consumer experience. They see patients, but they forget that patients are consumers of care. And so if you approached a solution or a problem with a solution through the consumer lens rather than a patient lens first, then your user design and that experience was is going to be much, much more thoughtful with more of a human element to it and I think you're right because I've tried to make appointments online and they're they're awful they're awful we know how to do this we I'm sorry Antonio I know you have a question but I just want to say we know how to do this we went through this when we first started the internet we also we learned not to just take old hard presentations and put them online that's not we know how to do this over to you Antonio no but no if if I look to some of conferences uh, uh, in the space of healthcare that are taking place around me, the only people that I see there are doctors. So there's no cross-pollination between expertise and professions. Yes. And that's what I'm trying to... So everyone is comfortable in uh, in, in having that website where booking can only be done from nine to five because you are in a kind of a group thinking. There's nobody, there's no patients there to challenge that. So how can we improve the cross-pollination uh, uh, through different professionals to actually improve the medical practice? I think part of it is what, what we're doing in, in the program that I teach in, right? Focusing on um, uh, quality improvement, consumer experience improvement, and really looking at what are the small changes that we can make that have huge impact across the system. Um, and I can certainly speak to, uh, we just graduated our first cohort in, in the program. And um, there was one person's um, 
uh, project that she changed one thing. It was just about educating the clinician on one preventive measure screening. Just say, put this, just think about this and see if your patient needs it, right? Um, that one change in the system, like just saying, I'm going to teach you about it. And then I want you to think about it. This, this, this was to clinicians in, in where she worked, um, impacted 600 families. Just a screening. We don't even have it. We haven't even gotten to a diagnosis yet. Right. And to go back to Neil's point around uh, earlier, where he was saying there's so much that we can do to improve that experience. This will also improve cost, because we all know that cost in healthcare are skyrocketing. And um, no matter, you know, what has happened is that we've gotten used to throwing solutions that are band-aids. And we're not fixing the system on a holistic level. Now, each system, each country has its own system. You know, we have a single payer in, in the UK, there's um, in, the, in the States, it's a different system. Um, EU is another system within a system, right? Like, so there's lots of other ways to do it. And, but this is a solvable problem. It's a matter of will because the people are there. People want it. The technology is there, uh, you know, uh, and I think COVID, if there is a silver lining from the mess and the horror of COVID, this might be it in healthcare is that we are now finally having these conversations to change um, to change our habits and change our thinking, and that um, it's not it's not scary, but or sometimes it is scary. But we need to have a conversation so we can improve care for for, uh, for mm-hmm. all of us involved. And by the way, I'm a consumer of care, as all are all of you, and we all have those horrible experiences in healthcare, and most of which I will tell you, when patients complain, they complain because it, they didn't feel seen or heard. It's oftentimes not about the care, right? It's not that I didn't get the antibiotic. I mean, there's a little bit of that, but like, I didn't get the, I went in for this and I wanted this and I didn't get it. It's more about how you made them feel and whether they felt heard about their complaints. Uh, And I will also say that it it just seems unnecessarily complicated. Yeah. And I know that we were told, oh, good, we have a little puppy joining. Sorry, my fur babies are. <laughs> That's something we learned during COVID is that people have lives. And sometimes <laughs> they have dogs and children. And yeah, they have lives. So hello to your puppy. But I think it's it's such a mess. Like, for example, and I'll, I'll do a rant like Neil did. I um, My daughter with Down syndrome, she's really struggled with her weight since she had a medical emergency. And there is a actually a drug that has been approved that would be very good for her. My doctor, her doctor has written this up a thousand ways to get the insurance company to approve and the insurance company keeps denying it. And things like that make me so mad because I don't go to the doctor to talk to the stupid insurance company. So here in the States, and I know it's not just in the States, but it is such a mess. We do not control our health records as an individuals. We do not get to have a say. We don't get to have the, the prescriptions that are actually going to help us. Yeah. It, it, and I realize once again, we can just go on a total complaint session <laughs> here. Um, also, the medical profession, I'm going to say this, is not just about doctors. We appreciate you doctors, but we there are so many more professions in the medical profession field that we just ignore. 
that we need in all this. So I think all this mess is just widening our digital divide. And we have to have the will, as you said, to really be stop stacking crap on the old technology. It doesn't work. Medical professionals, please come into join these conversations the rest of the world is having because, and we need leaders like you, which is why once again, I'm so impressed with your work, but, and we need leaders like we are here on access chat talking about these topics because it seems you have these isolated conversations where only the doctors get to say what they think. Well, yeah. And I will just say, and thank you, Deborah, for pointing pointing out that, you know, um, medicine is a team sport. Um, And I think patients need to, you're right, we always use the term doctor, sometimes it's used generally for all healthcare providers, but it really is we, um, every profession that is in healthcare adds value to the patient um, that is in, uh, who is in front of them. Um, And we all bring a certain uh, level of expertise, knowledge, and uh, life experiences with us to provide the best care. Doctors are absolutely part of this ecosystem, but so are PAs and NPs and um, PTs and OTs and social workers and mental health workers. God bless the mental health workers. We need more of them. Um, You know, really, there is a lot of workers. uh, When we were in the hospital for months, the people that came into my daughter's room to help. I, I, that never get acknowledged. And, right. and what I started doing was I just started taking names. And every time somebody was kind to us. And when we left that, I wrote a letter to the CEO of HCA and said, let me tell you who was involved in my daughter's care and how much we appreciate the people that would let us into the hospital when it wasn't open up. They would there are so many people, there's so many positions and any of these positions, if they're not taken seriously, we all lose. So I, yeah. I want to. And, and, and I think that that mindset of the traditional set of med- medicine where the physician is at the top and the hierarchy, of what, it, it is changing. Traditions take time to kind of evolve and shift in their thinking. And I do think it has changed uh, for the for the better. Uh, is there work to be done? Absolutely. Is there more collaboration that needs to happen? Yes. Um, you know, but I, I'm saying not only is there a need to be collaboration within the healthcare community and the professions, but I'm saying I want to talk to the guy who runs the manufacturing plant. I want to talk to the gal who runs the consumer user design experience because there are lessons to be learned from all of these aspects. I want to talk to the engineer. Uh, who is designing the EHR or the appointment booking software, Uh, there should be just as much as the engineer is designing this, the clinician should be there. The patient should be at the table providing their input because, you know, sir, I mean, we all know that like certain colors speak better to human, um, the human eye and are more um, warm and welcoming than other colors are. I mean, companies put millions of dollars into designing their logos and copywriting the color and all of that. Why why aren't we doing that in healthcare? It's the most human of all industries. We should be doing that. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, um, This is such a fascinating conversation. We could go on for hours. We definitely do need to have you back. Um, But we have reached the end of our time, which is a real shame because I know that we've got more questions to to ask. Um, so thank you, Tipu. Um, we also need to thank 
Amazon and my clear text are keeping this caption and keeping us on air. We look forward to continuing the discussions on Twitter. Uh, it's been a fascinating chat. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.